0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Wow, Beth, I think that the more you play, the better it gets. (laughs) (laughs) Wish preaching was that way. (laughs) <laughs> oh man that was good so here's the question though I, I was singing four different songs in that song because I couldn't figure out which one I was supposed to sing well that's one of them I was singing but then it went into another medley that I started singing something else So, at least I was partly right I was one fourth right how many of y'all followed along in your head with that next time just sing it out loud just she, she wouldn't mind that one bit would, would you Amen and amen. Open your Bibles, if you will. We're going to look at two passages today. Leviticus chapter 25. When's the last time you were in Leviticus for a sermon? I know you're excited this morning. You're like, hey, Leviticus. Yeah, baby. And then also, another one is Deuteronomy 15. (laughs) All right. You feel judged already, don't you? (laughs) No, it's not one of those sermons, I promise. Leviticus chapter 25, and then stick, a, stick your bulletin in Deuteronomy chapter 15, if you will. So um, the title of the message is Seven Year Itch. And I was hoping that you'd have that response. Um, how many of you know what a seven-year itch is? Let me see your hand. You, you can admit it. That's okay. You know what a seven-year is? So there actually was a movie, Marilyn Monroe was the star of it. Um, we don't remember who else was in the movie, but Marilyn Monroe was in the movie. And um, so, so uh, hang on just a second, I'm going to turn this up a little bit. I'm told I can't be heard. Oh goodness gracious. Just talk amongst yourselves. Is that a little better? Maybe, maybe not All right so um, yeah it 's a movie, and and i won 't talk about what the what was in the movie, but essentially there's a psychological term called the seven year itch, and it 's not quite as familiar nowadays. a lot of the younger folks wouldn 't really understand it, but they would get it once they heard it. the seven year itch is the the or the the theory that says after seven years of marriage, happiness tends to be on a decrease. So if you look at divorce rates, you can see that there is a higher rate of divorce or at least a very consistent rate of divorce about the seven-year mark. And there's a lot of theories as to why. I have a theory as to why. My theory is that God built into Human beings. He wo- he, that this was woven into the nature of the universe, that seven years is a cycle. And we see this all over, don't we? In the Bible, God, the Bible says in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth, sun, the moon, stars, all those things in six days. And on the seventh day, He said, What? Take a rest. We know that in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion, it's the number of fullness, the, the number of fulfillment, and so you have sevens all over Scripture. We know that um, we're not only commanded to rest every seven days, take a Sabbath, but in the passages we're looking at today, there's actually a Sabbath year on the seventh year, which is, which is really a, 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 a notion that we don't... Think too much on today, but we really should consider doing so, which is why I'm preaching this today. So the number seven is is I think a cycle, and so if you look over the past years of your life, how many things go through cycles of seven years? So um, how many times at seven years do you kind of get uneasy or antsy or restless and have to have to step back and re reimagine things or reevaluate or re envision? It's just something that God placed into the fabric of who we are. But I think that he didn't do it unintentionally. I think he had a purpose and a plan for it. And I think that that is most evident through this passage. So let's get right to it. In Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 2 now. "'Speak to the Israelites and say to them, "'When you enter the land I'm going to give you, "'the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. "'For six years sow your fields, "'and for six years prune your vineyards "'and gather their crops.'" But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your unattended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, for your male and female servants and the hired workers and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Then if you look into the next passage, and started in verse 8, you'll find that there is a special time after seven, seven years. So at 49 years, and it's called the year of Jubilee. And essentially the year of Jubilee is when everybody gets their land back. Now, I know this smacks against our, our Western culture, which is probably why it's so difficult for us to, to grasp this. But what God is teaching here are principles, I think, that haven't gone away. They're principles that we should live by and practice um, much more intently than we do. So the sabbatical year, the Sabbath year, this is what God said to the Israelites. He said, every seventh year, you are not to plant in the, gar- in the ground. You're not to till the land. You're not to put seed into the land. You're not to fertilize the land. You're not to work the land at all. You're supposed to let the land rest. And on that seventh year, for the entire year, you are going to allow the land to rejuvenate, if you can think of it this way, to re-envision, to reimagine, so that on the eighth year, you can get back to work, for the next six years. And this wasn't just a one-time deal. This was every seven years. Now, the first thought that comes to your mind, maybe, is the first thought that came to my mind. What in the world are we going to eat, right? I mean, that's an important thing. But here's what God said. He said, I will make provision for you, and I will provide on the sixth year three years worth of food. I'll provide the sixth year I'll provide the seventh year and I will provide enough for the eighth year because you're going to be replanting so that you can start harvesting because there's a time between when you plant and when you harvest. If you're a farmer, you know that you don't just harvest for today, you harvest for tomorrow. And if you're a wise farmer, you'll, put, you'll, you'll keep the cycle going and you'll, you'll make sure that you have enough to eat tomorrow, which uh, just a little, let's take a little rabbit tour here, okay? A little rabbit trip. We don't live this very well when it comes to preparing for tomorrow, do we? That's why we want something and we want it now. So we go to the bank and say, hey, I, I earned this. I deserve it. Let's buy it now. And we don't think that tomorrow we got to pay that bill. Now, I know nobody in this room does that, but everybody else does that. That's why we're in the shape or in. Can I get a witness here? Right. It, it, it's a, I want it now. There's no understanding of, look, I can't eat everything now because tomorrow I'll be hungry if I do that. So God is built inside of his system for the the Israelites, and certainly this principle passes down to us, first off, the idea of don't eat it all now, prepare for tomorrow. The Sabbath year taught them to prepare. It taught them to measure out their, their food. But not just that, it taught them overall who owns the field. Who owns the field? This is the lesson that I think all of us need to learn really, really well. And and it's not just what we need to learn in our own life for our own, the things that we're responsible for, but we need to to recognize it on a larger scale. The Bible tells us that God owns all the cattle on 10,000 hills. Every hill belongs to the Lord. Not just in the U.S., but also in Asia, and also in Europe, and also in South... So everywhere in the world belongs to God. God is just lending it to us. He's he's loaning it to us. He's allowing us to partake of what belongs to Him. But as such, we're supposed to be stewards, and we're to recognize that it belongs to Him. This is why in other parts of Scripture you find principles of tithing. You find principles of generosity. Now listen... Some would take this so far to say, we're not allowed to own anything, and that's not what the Bible says. We are allowed to own stuff, we should own stuff. There is, there is dominion and possession and things like that, but it's, it's, a, it's a little, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a little ownership, not a massive, not, not a major ownership. It's like a, it's like a small company being owned by a big company. The small company's responsible for running the thing, but at the end of the day, they answer to who? They answer to the big company. Well, God is the one who owns all things. By God telling the the Israelites on the seventh year, don't touch the land. He's saying to them, it's my land. Leave it alone. And if you'll leave it alone, I will bless you, which is another lesson, the provision of God. Because he said, look, I'm going to provide three years on the sixth year So if you'll obey me and leave the land alone on the seventh year, I'm going to provide for you beforehand. You'll see my provision in the midst of not harvesting on the seventh year, and you'll see my provision on the eighth year. So at the end of the day, God is saying, test me. Trust me. Follow me, because my word never fails. Amen? And so God says, I own it. He says, I'm going to provide, and so I need you to obey, and I need you to trust, which is the third thing. that The obedience and trust are similar. There's an act of faith. It's the people. Now, don't you think that human nature on the seventh year, those farmers, not just farmers, this is their livelihood. This is what they do. Don't you think that they walk out every morning going... Boy, I sure hope, I sure hope these fields are going to produce next year. Man, oh man, oh man. Think of all the briars I'm going to have to pick out of them next year. Man, they go to the storehouse and they go, boy, I tell you what, I'm not sure there's enough here because it's, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised at all if what God did on the storehouse is let it, let it get down to a quarter full way before the year was up. It's just like God to do that, isn't it? For him to go, hey, Watch this you're going to love this one, and so the old farmer goes out and goes, uh man it's only April, and we 've eaten three quarters of our grain. What in the world are we we got a we got nine more months, and God's over here going, this is going to be good. Watch this Farmer's over here going, well you know, I got a whole field i haven't planted." You know, I could probably start now. And I, 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 what if, you know, God said let the land rest, but what if I just did a sliver? What if I just did a little? Now, don't tell me you haven't done that with God, right? Huh? Are you guilty? I'm guilty. And here's, here's what's happening. He's looking at the grain. He's going, man, there's not enough. And God's going, did I say there would be enough? Well, yeah, you said there would be enough, but what you said isn't matching what I see. And God goes, yeah, I know. That's the point. But God, can't you, I got kids to feed. And could you imagine what my wife is going to say if she sees this? That was his real concern. That was, that was the real, no, no, nothing, I'm just saying you know how it is, right? Because the wives are the smart ones. They're the ones that go, hey, we got mouths to feed. And here's what God does. Every morning, when the farmer goes out, just before he opens the door, he adds a few more. The next morning, he goes out, because there's a faith issue there. He adds a few more. Before you know it, six months has passed, and he's going... Now, I don't understand this, because I took my Crayola crayon, and I marked the side of the thing here, and it's at the same level that it was three months ago. But we've been eating for three months. How is that working? And God's over here going, <laughs> I told you, wasn't this is great? I told you I would provide. Now, how many of you have had an experience of, with God like that? Anybody? That God has been an on-time, right-on-time God only providing what you need for the day so that you'll trust Him for your needs tomorrow. Listen, if God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, what makes us think that He's going to change that now? The principle of the Sabbath year was to remind the Israelites that God owns it all, that He made a promise, and He will provide for their needs supernaturally, and that in order for them to have their needs met, they have to act in faith and believe what God said. But it was also something different or something even more. It was to remind the people that even though they own, even though they, that this is their land under God, that all people were important. It was a way of God leveling the playing field. See, what the Scripture says here is this. <clears throat> it says... You're not to to reap, you're not to harvest, which means you're not to go out and intentionally harvest, but you were allowed to pick what grows naturally, and anybody who walks by is allowed to go into your field and grab what they want. Now, I gotta be honest, that one kinda gets me. I'm a little bit particular with who goes in my yard, I just am. How many, are you like that too? If I had a fruit tree, I would probably be pretty stingy with it. Now, you could ask me and come and eat, but I probably wouldn't be good with you coming in my backyard and picking all my grapes or, or grabbing all of my oranges. Why? Because it's, this, it's a principle of, hey, this is mine. Here's what God said. He said, look, the woman slave, the, the male slave, the stranger, the foreigner, the alien, anybody who walks through can come through your fields, and if they see something to eat, they can pick it and they can eat it, and you're not to say anything. Why? I think it was God reminding the people to be compassionate. Reminding the people that that humans are more important than stuff. Reminding people to not be tied up in their own little world so much that they don't see or that they fail to see the needs of the poor around them. And you know, we get that way sometimes. I, uh, yesterday, we had a, um, a block party. So my neighbors to the left, um, they sent out a notice a couple weeks ago, said, hey, we're doing a block party, come at four o'clock, we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs, everybody bring a side and bring something to drink, and um, we're just going to sit out and enjoy our, enjoy each other's company. Now this was exciting to me because I would have been wanting to do this, but haven't done it yet, so I'm like, well, great, somebody else did all the work, I'll just show up. With my pot of beans. (laughs) So we walk over there, and and here's what I realized. I have neighbors that have lived there 25 years, and I didn't even know that they were there. You want to know why? Because I'm always up here. Or I'm always doing something with the kids, or I'm always doing you know, we get we get into our own little pattern. We get into our own little little world and we forget that there are people right next to us who god has placed in our path for us to love them and care for them just be kind and it's not that we don't care it's just that we don't see i really think that the sabbatical year for the, the for the jews was a way of helping the people to see what they didn't already see because they had time they had space they had opportunity. And so, if you'll skip over to Deuteronomy 15, there's one other passage <clears throat> that goes along with this. And this is uh, this is a really beautiful part. There, there's one more provision that God made with the sabbatical year, but I want to go to 15 first. There's a beautiful part in Deuteronomy 15. And if you have a Bible that has titles, it says the year for canceling debts. Chapter 15, Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance. Did you see what the verbiage is there? The the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, right? So there is ownership, but it's a sub-ownership underneath the Lord's ownership. So it then says, um, verse five, if only... Actually, go back to verse 4. Let's do this again. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you." And so the principle that God is speaking of here is this. He's saying, for your brothers and sisters, for your family, every debt is to be forgiven at the seven-year mark. This is big. This is really big. So your brother-in-law borrows money to build a house. It's the seventh year. He still owes you half of what the note is. At the end of the year, God says to you, I need you to tell him, paid in full, debt canceled, you owe me nothing. See, I have a hard time with this one too. (laughs) So what do you think it did to the people? Here's what it did. It made them go back to the initial first year and say, you want me to loan you money, but I know in seven years, this is gonna be a totally canceled debt. I'm going to consider how I loan money. I'm going to steward what you've given me on year one and year two and year three, because I know that at year seven, there's a, a reconciliation that's going to happen. There, you know, it's like taking the etch-a-sketch and going like this. It's now canceled. The Bible also says, you're not allowed to hold people hostage if you get to the seventh year and they owe you a bunch of money. You're supposed to love them and care for them and not maneuver and try to figure out a way that you can, you can basically stick it to. It's this whole idea, again, of God saying, I own it all. You manage for me. But within the family, you are to love each other above all else. This is a beautiful thing, although it's a hard thing. Now, what I'm not saying to you is you're supposed to go cancel everybody's debt unless I owe you and then that's what the Bible says. Otherwise, <laughs> no, that's not true. And notice there's an exclusion for foreigners. It doesn't say that every debt you own. Why for foreigners? Does God not love foreigners? Well, of course he does, but this is a family matter because within a family, there is a different kind of relationship. There's a different kind of love. So what do we have here? We have this seventh year woven into the fabric of God's people. And it, and it bleeds out into the fabric of the universe, really. Where does this hit you? Well, the seventh, or the, the last thing I want to share with you about a reason for the Sabbath year is notice that the Bible says, do not work the land, let the land rest. That was as much for the land as it is for you. Now, go back to this concept of seven-year itch. Happiness, they say, tends to fade at seven years of marriage. Listen, if you've been married seven years, you've you've gone through some stuff. There are a few people in life who seven years is nothing, Easy peasy, their, their personalities, their temperaments, they have something unique. But for the rest of the world, marriage is tough. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> Did you agree? I hope. I... <laughs> now, if marriage is the most sacred relationship, earthly relationship we have, it's just a picture I think of the difficulty and everything else. So at seven years, there's a there's a, somewhat of an uneasiness. There's as the as the movie talked about. There's a there's eyes that start looking around. I'm obviously not suggesting you do that, but I'm saying it, it's that. It's that human nature or it's that sin nature, it's the it's the anxiousness, the restlessness to wonder, is there something else? Is there something more? What am I missing? I think the principle of the Sabbath year fits here. I think the principle is stop and take stock of what you have and of who you love. Stop and, and consider your ways. Slow down, step back, take a break, and look and see what it is you're doing well and what it is you're neglecting, what it is you need to to do more of, what it is you need to do less of. But see, what happens is this. We push through that seventh year. We're just gonna make it through. We don't ever fix anything. We just put a blanket over it and keep moving through, right? And guess what happens to that stuff that we just covered? It magically goes away. Right? No. What does it do? It starts to fester. It starts to, really, it starts to rot. And it starts to stink. So we keep going, you smell something? Yeah, yeah. That was probably that. So let's just go faster. Faster. Think about that. We want to get away from it, so let's just go faster. Let's just put more stuff into our life, right? Let's just get busier so we don't have to think about that. Can I tell you something that's absolutely true, and you know this to be true? If it stinks then, it's going to stink later. It's just going to stink a whole lot more. You will deal with it now, or you will deal with it later. This is why people, after being married 30 years, get a divorce, because they never dealt with it then, they've just covered it up and pretended it didn't happen. And then when the bottom drops out, they have no more kids to sidetrack them. They have no more stuff to, to keep them busy. <clears throat> they have to look at each other in the face and go, man, we got some issues. It's too hard now. Let's just, let's just call it a day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> God built into us the need to regularly step aside and say, the most important thing in my life is to evaluate and to watch and to listen. Companies are starting to understand this. Do you know that Intel and Patagonia and um, McDonald's, IBM, I think, does it. A host of companies have said, you know what? Our best and brightest employees are leaving. Or they're getting bored. That's really the key word, bored. They're getting bored. So what we're going to do to curb this is, we're going to give them, because of their faithful service, we're going to give them time away for a sabbatical. Just, and, and it's a biblical concept. It's what the Bible says And time after time after time, these companies have said, look, when we do that, they come back rejuvenated and refreshed, and they give us more than what they'd have given us if they'd have just stayed and trudged through it. So this is something on multiple levels. Now, here's the deal. As you know, um, about five years ago, I asked for a sabbatical, and and, and the church voted and agreed, and we did a, a, a... a request for a grant, and that grant was denied. So I requested again the next year, and that was denied. It was a national clergy grant is what it was. And I applied for about three years and then just stopped applying because, frankly, it wasn't the right time to go. And so um, this past business meeting that we had, I said, hey, I, I, I need to do a sabbatical. And here's why. Because I've been here 15 years. September will be 16. Now, the average tenure of a pastor is three and a half years. And so I should be on my sixth church by now? Fifth church? (laughs) I'm joking. I'm just joking. Not really. Um, But by the average, the tenure is very short, and there's reasons for that. But, But after 15 years, it'll be 16 years in September, here's what I found in me. I need to follow the principles of the Bible. Not only do I need to follow them, but I need to model them. Because here's what I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to ask you to take a sabbatical as well. It may not look the same, and it may not be right now. Hopefully it's not all at one time. But I want you to, I want you to really consider the value of stepping aside to recognize who owns what, to, to have to, to follow in obedience, to, to test your faith, to act in faith, to um, to have your eyes open to see the needs that you might have become blind to. But then the last last and of course as important, if not most important, to re envision, to reimagine. You know, the worst thing for a church is for somebody to stay without vision for a long time. Have you ever experienced that with anybody? Don't, probably don't raise your hand on that. But have you ever said of somebody, they really should have left 10 years ago? Have you ever said of somebody, they stopped working five years ago, they've just been collecting a check, right? Whether it's in church or business, that happens, right? You want to know why? Why? Because we don't have a system that says, look, we recognize that your greatest value is the freshness that you bring. It's the hope that comes through you having a renewed vision and a renewed, a renewed look. I can tell you personally in my life, the, the times that I've gone away for short periods of time and come back, that's when the greatest movement of God seems to have happened. It, it's, where I, it's where I recapture vision. So here's, <clears throat> here's what I asked in the business meeting I want to share it with you, and I want to make sure that you're clear as to the why. Um, It's not a vacation. It's an intentional time away for this purpose. Number one, to bless the church. You say, wait a minute. How are we going to be blessed by this? You're going to be blessed in a number of ways. Number one, you're going to be blessed because you're going to be able to see how strong and healthy the church really is. You know what happens when a person leads an organization for a long, long time, which 16 years is a long time in a church. What happens is we we tend to take for granted some things, and we tend to not see the full picture because, well, somebody's going to cover it. It's an opportunity for you to see that the church is not built around a person, that the pastor is not the pastor. He simply... A pastor. It's the opportunity for you to see the magnificent gift you have in Brent and in Kevin and in Gabo, and in the whole team that we have because they're not under any type of shadow of me. And I'm not saying anything great about me. I'm just saying that's the way human nature is, right? We tend to, we tend to see very narrowly sometimes. Brent has a gift of preaching Kevin has a gift of pastoring. That's why we hired him, frankly. I didn't hire him for his music. I hired him because he was a pastor. The music was just a bonus. Y'all agree? We have a worship pastor who is truly a pastor. He loves people. So so the first reason for the sabbatical is, is for you as the church. Not just so that you can see who you have in, in, in the team, but so also you can, you can do some of the things that are being done by other people. Please take this the right way. My family of five does an enormous amount of work here. Not just me, but my wife, Shannon, and my kids. My three children are carrying a very heavy load here. Now, you may not see that, but I can promise you, it is, a, it is a load that we willingly and gratefully bear because we love this place with every fiber of our body. My children are not in any way resentful. They're not in any way tired, none of that stuff. But I think the church needs to have that removed for a period of time. And the church just needs to see what, what, is, it that, what is it that they're doing? And again, you hear my heart on this, right? Because it, it 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 helps the church to be stronger. So that's that's the one reason. For but for the so it's for you as the church, the last reason for you as a church is this. You need a fresh vision from me. We are at a we are at a time where mission casa and story point are about seven years old, eight years old, something like that, I can't even remember. You, you need a fresh vision from me. Where do we go next? And I need to have that vision by being away from the day-to-day of what we have here. I told folks over here on Wednesday night, I said, look, I pray for everybody. Everybody. But I don't pray for you every day. I pray for some of you one day, others another day, others another day, because it's impossible to pray for everybody every day. Right? And and to actually engage in the needs of each person. By me me removing myself and letting the church flourish without me and my family, it's going to be a benefit for you. The second thing is it's going to be a benefit for my family. Um, I wrestle with telling you this, but um, my children are pastors' kids. Everywhere they go, they're known. They don't get a lot of the jokes, but everybody knows, oh, she's a preacher's kid. Do you know how do you know how hard that is? How many of y'all are preacher's kids? Let me see. You are, you are. Can you testify here? It's it, it's a little bit difficult because even when there's not a, a vocal weight, you still have that internal weight. Even though it's not placed on you, you place it on yourself. Because you know that what you do matters in the community. And it ain't like we live in Atlanta. We live in Gulf Breeze, folks. It's a blessing and a curse. My kids can't do anything without me knowing about it. My daughter got stopped the other day because she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So I mentioned it to her. She goes, how did you know? (laughs) It's impossible not to know, kid. You just need to know. I'm going to know. Shannon? You know how hard it is to be a pastor's wife? Let me say it differently. You know how hard it is to be married to me? Hey, can you ease up? (laughs) No, uh, uh, the life of a pastor's wife, I'm not asking for something. I'm just saying it really is a weight. And what you don't need is an unhealthy pastor's wife. Now, she's not unhealthy, but I'm saying... This is an intentional time of stepping away, going, look, you are most important to me because I will be married to her longer than I will be married to you. You are not my mistress. Yeah. Amen. Did you hear me? Yeah. Amen. Sometimes that happens in churches. I don't love you like I love my wife. You don't get the best of me all the time. She does. She deserves that because she's my wife. So not only is this for you, but this is for, this is for me and my family. Here's the plan. 14 weeks, the first seven of those is me giving to my family all of me with no phone calls, with no hospital visits, with no worries or concerns of questions, with, with me totally present to them. Just them. If you know me, you know also that my oldest daughter is making decisions on schooling. And my middle daughter, we're dropping her off at Lee College in Cleveland, Tennessee in August. So this is the last chance for daddy to do this. So our plan is we're going to go away for seven weeks. And we've, we've talked about this extensively as a staff. I said, look, I don't want you to call me. I don't want you to even think about me. You handle it. So, the last person this is for is me. Do you know how difficult it is to give total control, 100% decision ability to the church that you're supposed to lead? That's tough. But here's the thing, there is genuinely not one ounce of anxiety in me about it, because here's what I think, I think that you have hired competent, gifted people, and I think that as a church, you are competent, gifted people, and I think that the church doesn't revolve around me, and I think that the church is going to be here long after I'm dead and gone, but this is kind of a test. This is a chance for us to test that theory. Now, you've heard me say this before. Success here at First Baptist Church is when I can stand in the back and church is going on just like normal. Then I can walk out the back doors and four weeks later, y'all go, hey, y'all seen Jeff around here? That's success. When everybody has something to do and I'm no longer needed. Do y'all hear what I'm saying in that? That, that's, that's, my, that's my view of success because it's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my family. It's not even about you. It's about him. So today, <clears throat> here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to evaluate your own life and consider sabbatical in your life. It may not look exactly like mine will look, but, but, but you need it if you haven't done it. I want you to evaluate your marriage and don't run from it, run to it. Ask yourself, where have I been negligent? Where have I been, been busy? Where have I been silent? What have I just tolerated? And then, then then start working and fix that. With your children, ask the same questions. Where have I been present? Have I been tolerant? Have I been observant? What have I missed? Do that with your grandchildren. Folks, the Bible tells us make the most of every opportunity because the days are what? They're evil, which means they're they're short. One of the things about my mother when she passed away that we sat around the family table is this. We have no regrets. Not one single regret when my mom died did we have over not doing something, not saying something, saying something. We were good. And I want to live the rest of my life that way. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. Live with no regrets. So you consider sabbatical. Then I'm gonna ask you to pray for me and my family as we take sabbatical. Here's what I need you to pray for. Pray for, pray that i be able to pay for it for one, but duh, you know, other than that, um, <clears throat> pray for not, not safety. Pray for experience. We're not, we're not going on vacation. We're going on mission. Where we go, we fully expect that God is gonna engage us with people who need the gospel. And we get to watch, as a family of five, we we are Jesus' hands and feet across this country. That is the most exciting thing to me. You know how cool it is when your daughter says to you, hey, Dad, that guy needs us to go talk to him, so let's go. That's wonderful. That's what we're gonna get to do. So the first seven weeks with just my family, The last seven weeks is going to be just Shannon and me and then just me. The very last portion of this is just me listening to God so I can come back with a refreshed and renewed vision so we can go into the next phase of where God wants us to go. Now, I'm not going to write a book while I'm gone. I've already done that. I did that the last nine years. You'll never read it because nobody cares about that. But I had to do it because that's what the professor said to do. I am going to study, but my primary study is going to be the Word of God. I'm going to allow the Word of God to refresh my heart and my spirit. I'm not going to uh, I'm not gonna find an extra job. I'm not going to look for a job. I mean, all kinds. You can take this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I was going to tell you this. We're out of time, but there are only two things that would get me to leave First Baptist Church. Two things and two things only. If the voice of God says, Jeff, your time is done, I promise you, with absolute integrity, the moment God says that, I'm going to obey. Can I just tell you how hard that would be? Nobody in their right mind would want to leave Gulf Breeze or this church. Absolutely would never have any plans of that. But if the Lord says, Jeff, your time is done, you don't want me here, and I don't want to be here. Second thing is this. If you as a church said, you know what, your time is done, those are the only two things that will cause me to leave. So this, I'm not, I'm not going to look for a church. I don't want you to think that this is some underhanded way. It's really not. It's exactly what I've said it was. It's to follow the biblical principle and to let God rejuvenate the vision to come back and to serve you for however many years God will allow me to serve you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much my family has been blessed by you. But I also can't tell you how much my wife is grateful for your support of this. Out of all the people in my family, she's the one who's taken the hardest burden. And I, I'm not, you hear what I'm saying? She, she carries it because, because it's out of duty, it's out of responsibility. It's not out of, it's not out of because she has to, but she just, she recognizes how how uh, she recognizes the weight. Could you imagine every Sunday coming and serving, sharing, all in the background, year after year after year. This is a chance for me to give my wife the very best of me for a period of time. We've been married 20 years. 24 or 25 years. One of those. (laughs) One of those. Somewhere. So I plan to take her away and give her all of my attention. (laughs) All right, amen. Um, Oh, I was going to tell you one more. Oh, yeah. The best thing about this... uh, I... I get to not be a pastor for 14 weeks. Because while I'm here, no matter where I am, I'm the pastor. Every business deal I make, everything I buy, it's always with the mindset, but you're a pastor. Can you negotiate that low? Is this sound mean? Will this come back on the gospel? Not that I do anything illegal or anything, but it's a weight. I can prove it. We go out to eat, who's going to be called to pray? Yeah. Every family vacation or every, every family get together. Hey, Jeff, you want to mind praying for us? No. <laughs> I just tell them no, my family. I don't mind. I, it, you know what I'm saying. All right. Father in heaven, I pray that today, Lord, I, I approach the day with, with a little, little, bit of, little bit of caution. But, Father, I believe based on what I'm seeing. that that your people truly understand what I've said here today. Father, my prayer is that you would bless us. Lord, you promised you would bless your people if they would be obedient. And you promised you would provide for them if they would be obedient. So, Father, I pray that that as I'm obedient to your call in this for me and my family, I pray, God, that as a church, this obedience would would flourish and grow and fruit into something so beautiful and so marvelous. Father, only you know the deep and abiding love I have for the people of First Baptist Church. Father, only you know the tears that I've cried over these, your people. Father, my prayer is that you would use this time to strengthen that and to to let it fully be known that these are special people. Father, you've done such good work all over the world through this group of people, through this body. And Father, you're teaching us to love each other as Jesus loved the church. And God, I pray that you continue to do that for it's in your name that we pray.